Welcome to Word Birds, where you'll hear content conversations directly from the flock. Join Christopher Willis in conversation with content experts and thought leaders as they chat about how to make the most out of your words in business. Here's your host, Chris. Hello and welcome to Word Birds, a birds of a feather conversation amongst people that care about words. Today on the show, Mike Iantosca. Mike is Senior Director of Content Platforms at Avalara. He is a content futurist, 20 years at IBM. He is building the future of technical content creation and delivery right now as we speak. And we're going to talk about it today. Let's sit back and get some insight from the flock. Mike Iantosca, welcome to WordBirds. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike and I know each other. This is going to be really interesting. This is what we would classify as a very special episode of WordBirds. Mike Iantosca is a lot of different things, but just to give you some background on who this man is, you're familiar with Dita, I'm sure, if you're listening to this show. Mike's a founder of the Dita content. You're a pioneer, I think you could say. And you didn't stop there. You continue even today post-retirement and return to be creating new paradigms of content creation. Take me back through sort of the process of, or your role, I guess, in creating Dita and then how you leveraged that approach to get to where you are today. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for having me. Content has been my life for 40 years. It's a joy. I can't believe I made a career and got paid to have so much fun every day. Started at IBM back in around 1980-81 timeframe. My mentor back then, one of them was Charles Goldfarb, who invented markup language with Trio, Goldfarb, Moshore, and Lori, GML. That's where SGML came from and GML birthed. Working with Charles and working with the technology, I was brought to the dark side, understanding and building solutions based on SGML and then XML. And then when XML sort of evolved, it had been really evolving over a number of years. It was actually jokingly called monastic SGML at first. A lot of people involved. And when XML emerged, and I was at the conference in which the spec came out, I immediately realized there was no X really in XML. It really wasn't extensible. And I was excited about it because it had a lot of promise for taking structured content really to a much broader part of the industry. And when I came back to IBM, I began evangelizing heavily, was able to get the IBM team to develop the first XML public parser, and was able to convince the folks that I worked with, my peers, that we should stop development on an SGML dialect that was designed for the web, only was called WebDoc at the time, and form a group of team of about 10 people and figure out how can we take XML and really make it extensible And so we brought in some really brilliant folks. I formed the team. I was able to sell management on it. I was a member of the team. But it wasn't until we brought in folks like Michael Priestley and Don Day and John Hunt, Elaine Patron, a whole bunch of others in that group of 10. And we spent a good two years, a year and a half, developing the concept of data and reusable content. It was a challenge because the mindset of moving from SGML to X and developing a standard, an architecture, not a language, was really kind of unheard of. But we persisted. And when we had this standard, we then began to shop it to different tool providers and start to recruit the different tool providers because we believed that this was a standard that was so extensible 
it could become an industry on its own. And it took probably about five or six years. We had to work it through the Oasis organization to get it to be a true standard. Others did that on my team. I sunk into the background and built the very first platforms to support it and began counseling other companies. And so I've had the luxury of seeing this entire industry from its birth grow with all of the providers that now provide buy and extend solutions with wonderful cadre of consultants to help companies implement this amazing technology that provides exceptional reuse and flexibility for publishing any source to any channel and really take content to the next level beyond even where we are today. Wow. As you moved forward with that, did you realize that this was something that was going to be much bigger than what you had initially started with? I mean, DIT is an approach that I think most major organizations now use. It's a standard. And popping out of this group that you put together, did you envision where this would go? We had the vision and we had the wish that it could become that. It took a lot of people to go through the industry and build alliances to get enough inertia till it became its own beast, if you will. And then it took on a life of its own. I think the people who are doing traditional structured content using SGML immediately realized the benefit of moving to a more non-book oriented, more component oriented, extensible model where we could do content typing much better and easier reuse with lower barriers of entry. It immediately pulled in people from the experienced structured world. It's been a slow but steady growth since. I would say 30% of the industry now uses data, which is huge in terms of numbers. It is slow growing, but it's a steady growth. There have been a couple of companies and users that may have started and went to something simpler because they wanted simpler authoring. At the time, we didn't have the visual data authoring tools that now exist. Sadly, the only thing that they lost and seriously thing they lost was they lost the algorithmically machine consumable processing and automation that only something like data provides. So they sort of threw the baby out with the bathwater when they went to things like Markdown or RST, not realizing that the future artificial intelligence and machine learning based content automation was really demanding the algorithmically processable intelligence that DITA had. But we've lost very few people in the process. Most have stuck with DITA and structured content because they understand the business value proposition, the economies of doing that and being able to support many different sources and many different channels without linearly growing the resources and the organization it would require to maintain duplication. So it would be hard to look at the experience with DITA in the enterprise as anything but a success. And then I remember, I don't know, some time ago, sending you best wishes when you retired after decades of doing this specifically at IBM, but elsewhere. And yet here you are with a new title and a new company. And I'm fascinated by this title. You're the senior director of content performance. And we think a lot in terms of content impact, the purpose of content. I think a lot of businesses miss the business value of content. Content is a thing that we create because we have to, we have to write words down because people need to read words, but the value of it is lost on a lot of businesses. And I feel like if a company has hired somebody of your caliber with the title inclusive of 
content performance, it feels like maybe there's an understanding in your business, but I don't want to guess. Tell me a little bit about what content performance means at Avalara. Yeah, thank you. So I own the content platforms and performance goes along with it. When we talk about performance, we're really talking about customer success at the end of the day. We're talking about eliminating or reducing friction for the customer. We're talking about maximizing time to value, speed of adoption, ease of implementation. These are essential if you are to gain new customers and if you're to increase the base of their footprints through upsell and cross-sell. If a company cannot quickly implement your solution, they're going to go elsewhere. If the friction level is high, either during or even after implementation, they're not going to be happy with you and they're going to be wary about trusting you to expand their footprint. A company like Avalara is a high growth company. It was in the 30s and 40 percentile year-over-year revenue growth that quickly achieved three quarters of a billion dollars of revenue and is on a trajectory to be multinational, quite frankly. How do you grow from hundreds and thousands of customers to millions of customers? That is a heck of a business proposition. To do that, Avalara had the vision before I joined that they needed the best and the brightest people to achieve that. And they put their money where their mouth is. They've invested in the experienced people who have been around the block. They bring in people who are also not experienced, but having that wealth of knowledge and teaming to create something from scratch is an opportunity that's rare. When I found out about Adelaide and I found out that they had already made the decision to go to DITA, I didn't make that decision. They had some pretty bright people that did the analysis and said, we want to be DITA, at least for the product content. And they had basically almost nothing in terms of a platform. To me, that was like giving a master painter a blank canvas and every color in the world they can imagine and say, here, after a lifetime of painting, go paint your masterpiece. I couldn't resist, Chris. (laughs) I had to come off retirement and give it another round or two to, it's just too enjoyable to do. And I I mean, that's exactly right. Go ahead. Yeah. In just a period of 16 or so months, we have built a world-class platform that goes live later this year. That includes a world-class migration to data. That includes a world-class CMS. That includes world-class content governance with Acrolinks that we use. That includes a world-class content delivery platform. That includes world-class taxonomy ontology management system and including a globalization and terminology and vocabulary management system that didn't exist when I arrived. It's an amazing lift in probably industry record time, but it's not just because of what I know in my experience. It's the teamwork and the collective experience and knowledge of the people around me that were able to make it happen because they all shared that same vision that is driven by our company's North Star of providing simple and unified solutions for our customers. Write like you want people to care with Acrolinks. We get a lot of pushback that thinking through the impact of content is more of a marketing department thing. Like marketing is worried about conversions. So good content converts at a higher rate. I keep pushing back that content performance matters everywhere in the customer experience. And we do have as a business so much experience in tech docs 
and technical content in general. And so if you're telling me that the only place that performance matters is in marketing, then you're telling me all the content that's built through the technology organization, through product, doesn't really matter. I mean, you just talked about it's customer success. It's taking out friction. It's maximizing time to value. It's getting successful implementations. All of those things lead to renewals, retention, customer satisfaction, things that are measured at the top of the business. And so many businesses are missing that aspect that, okay, so content is to convert things. I'm trying to get more leads. Cool, 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 cool. Great. Where's everything else coming from? What if you have unhappy customers? What if customers can't use your product? And we all know the same stories. I mean, you've been to the same conferences that I've been to and heard the people talk about they've created content that has material issues with it that make it impossible to use the product that the content is accompanying and costing them millions and millions of dollars in failed product launches. So how do you say that that doesn't matter? And here you are at a company that not only gets that, but is pouring resources into it. I get why you came out of retirement because this is the culmination. This is completing the model. And and so as a founder involved in Dita, you're not done. Like You're not just sitting there and saying, I already did this. You're well into the next stage of building for the future. You've started a guild. You have a blog of your own. You've created resources and conversations that are leading content creation and measurement into the future. Talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. We want to take content from where it is now. We're really at an inflection point in the industry. For the last 20 or 25 years, many companies have exercised the value proposition of componentized and intelligent content. We've gotten the benefits and value prop of reuse. We've gotten the benefits of progressive disclosure, minimalism, all those wonderful things, reuse, tremendous amounts of reuse, the ability to write once and publish to many different channels in many different formats without having to rewrite the content multiple times and linearly scale the resources necessary to do that. We've gotten all of those things that any of the 30 or 40% of the companies that have gone to structured intelligent content know that, but it's more than just structured content. You touched on the fact that it's one thing to get the people into the funnel at the beginning at marketing, but we have study after study after study, Forrester, everybody else will tell you that 50% or more of the time, the people who are evaluating product purchases are going to the technical content and they're scoping out the APIs, and they're scoping out the functionality. The marketing materials don't go that deep. They have to go in. And so you can't treat marketing content and technicals content and enablement content. You can't treat that as silos. They have to interlock with each other. And the way we interlock that with each other is through semantics. It doesn't matter actually that there some content is in data and some content is in say AEM and other content is in Salesforce or an LMS or whatever. We need to unite all that content. And the way we do that is through a common lingua franca, vocabularies. Vocabularies are the foundation of the future. If we want to link all of that content together from all those different sources and combine it and deliver combinations of it, in a personalized, a truly personalized, not personified way, we need to have standardized vocabulary first. We need to have common terminology. That is the foundation. And if companies haven't started, that's the first place to start. But it doesn't end there. Once we've got the common terminology, we then can build taxonomies. I don't want to get into the gorp of 
taxonomies, but taxonomies are nothing but classification labels. If you've been to eBay or you've been to Amazon, you've played with taxonomies. You've traversed from photography down to cameras, to lenses, to whatever. And you know that it could be used to narrow down and make content more searchable, but they have a much greater purpose now going into the future. We want to leverage artificial intelligence and machine learning for content. And this componentized structured model, as well as unstructured content, can apply the vocabularies such that we can build what's necessary to feed AI and machine learning systems through the use of knowledge graphs. Now, knowledge graphs is a topic that you might hear at a cocktail party. Anybody talking about them sounds like they're a rocket science or might be string theory or something really complex. It really isn't. It's very much like those little molecule models you used to make in high school and college. And all they are is that each little ball, each little circle is simply a content object and it's connected to another content object because it has a relationship to it. And we can query those the massive arrays of these molecule models and build new applications. That's all knowledge graph really is fundamentally. It's really simple, actually. It's Mike went to Marist College and Jane went to Marist College. Guess what? Both Mike and Jane went there. We have a relationship between us that we didn't even know existed before. And we can, through a query language and through inbound signals from the customer, we can literally move from failure mode content where we've been since the cave days to proactive assistive content that's highly personalized and specific to the tasks they're doing at the time. So for example, let's say I want to prove to the business that the use of technical content contributes as much as it really does to the sale or upsell of a product or feature that the marketing content does. Well, gee, if I can have the sales information and graph that, and I can graph my content corpus, I can query both and find out how much of the content they used prior to that sale. I can finally prove to the business how much my technical content contributed to the sale versus the contribution of other types of content. That's unheard of. You can't do that with the kind of technologies. And the foundation for doing that are the common, shared, consistent vocabularies. So the one thing I did right away coming into the business at Avalara was Where's the common term base? Oh, there's not one? Let's start building one. Good. Okay. What's our common taxonomy? Oh, there's not one for content? Let's start building a common taxonomy for our content so we can label it so people can find it and sift through it and find it much easier. But those are only very, very foundational things. We're going to take that and build it into knowledge graph. So in order to push this, because the tool vendors... They support things like the terminology and the taxonomies today pretty well, and they're getting better, but they're not yet into the advanced semantic technologies like ontologies and knowledge graphs that are necessary to move into that new future. And so we formed this guild called the Semantic Content Graph Guild. And on it, we have senior members from Microsoft, from Dell, Oracle, IBM, Juniper, ST Microelectronics, the list goes on and on and on people who are dabbling and doing some discovery work in this new advanced semantics world. And it's open. We take in members who are willing to discuss and throw their ideas forth. And we have meetings every month and we publish those meetings openly in our little discussion forum, our little bulletin board on uh, thinkingdocs.com. And anybody can come there and join the discussion. And what I tell people is this is all wonderful because it's making what was nebulous, this talk about AI and machine learning, real. It's providing the semantic fabric that these technologies 
have to have in order to work. And people just didn't know how to approach it. So we created what we call the semantic content maturity model. And that tells you how to, in the sequence, what you need to do first, second, third, fourth, to build up this advanced intelligence on top of the intelligence we have in solutions like data that give you that fuel to drive the next generation of applications and the kinds of applications that are just not even thinkable today because we don't have enough intelligence alone in even structured intelligent content to do that. We need to add another layer. And the common lingua franca of that is the consistent vocabularies, the consistent terminology, the consistent taxonomies. And without that, you have no foundation. You can't build a house without a foundation. No, it would be difficult. <laughs> it would definitely be difficult. Again, just so that people don't miss it, that's thinkingdocs.com, Semantic Content Graph Guild, accompanying also thinkingdocumentation.com, which is your blog. And that is a, another place that you can go to find that semantic content maturity model. There is a great blog article and some images that people could read if they want to gain more information on that topic. Let's not be confused about what we're hearing right now. This is the future of the next generation of technology that's going to drive the creation and delivery of content. And this isn't something that I feel like the kickoff of this conversation is, so you want to have a career in content. These are things you need to know about. You can't ignore this and go forward into a world where there's going to be this kind of advanced personalization, where we're going to get the right information out at the right time to the right people on the right topics. You can't create relevance in content if you don't have this kind of baseline to start from, right? That's absolutely accurate. You just have to build up. And so those companies that stayed the course, that built DITA, for example, on top of DITA, they're going to have the easiest road of all down this road. Not exclusively. Those who have chosen Markdown, RST, they're just not going to have the granularity, for example, that we're going to enjoy with, say, DITA. For example, if I'm building a chatbot, how many chatbots are just plain old dumb decision trees that are not very effective versus how many chatbots can mine a massive corpus of user assistance content? Extremely, almost non-existent, actually. But with this model, we can do that, which means if I can label my content, I can even label pieces within topics like a set of steps. And it can extract those steps because it understands where it begins and where it ends in the structure and deliver precision answers. That's what people want from a chatbot. They want precise answers. And today, we're not giving them precise answers in chatbots. We're not mining those huge corpuses of help and technical content. And we can't do it unless we build out these vocabularies and these semantic technologies to be able to do that sort of retrieval and dynamism and personalization that is called for that I think people expect these things to do that are not, they're still not doing today. No. And I mean, if you've ever played with the back end of a chatbot, you've started this process. You know the question that you think somebody's going to ask and you program hard code in what you want the answer to be. And where this has to head is the system needs to be able to understand the question and deliver the information out of this basis of information that we have on hand in the business. And I feel like we're not anywhere near that today in most businesses, but that's the progression is take the thing that you've already done and then think about that like times a hundred, times a thousand, and then beyond. And now you've got a system that can actually add real value 
on the fly. We can't add value on the fly in most businesses today. We're assuming things. We're guessing. You talked about failure mode delivery. I'm guessing where the problems are going to be. It would be better to be able to react to an actual problem. Right. And it's amazing because we have so much technology today that can give us the inbound signals from the user to know what they're doing and what they're thinking, even if we don't even know explicitly who they are. We know a a plethora of things about them, where they've been, where they're going, even as anonymous users. We need to get away from only prescriptive construction and delivery of content. It doesn't disappear. You still have prescriptive organizations of collections, but we need to add to that prescriptive model, the truly dynamic assembly on the fly. And we need to combine that with the inbound signals and the intelligence of the relationships of all of the information as objects to do that assembly. And that's where we're taking advanced semantics today. And we're not alone. There's numerous companies that are literally a year, year and a half into this. And by the time you really see this come out, I think it's going to be another year or two until you really start seeing the applications in significant applications. Companies are going to be three and four and five years behind And they're going to be wondering, how did these companies get here? How did they do this? And this has been the story of internet, of the web 1.0, web 2.0, web 3.0. It wasn't a single technology that made web 1.0 and web 2.0 happen. It was a critical mass of technologies that somebody then capitalized on because they said, oh, I finally have a stack here that I could build something incredible like, oh, Facebook or whatever it is. And they didn't invent Web 2.0. They capitalized on the stack of technologies that a brilliant set of technologists independently created that sort of culminated together. And that's exactly where we are in the content and knowledge. So I, I tend to feel that we're moving more into, we're moving away from information and content into knowledge. And that is the next generation of where we have to be if we are to compete. And if people are listening that want to be part of that next generation, I'm telling you, the resources are here. So go check out thinkingdocs.com and thinkingdocumentation.com. There is a community that is specializing in this right now that's putting in effort and conversation and creation around this. You need to be a part of this because this is where it's going. And so being on the cutting edge is definitely where you want to be. And we have the cutting edge sitting right in front of you right now. This is a resource. If people want to get in touch with you just to follow up this conversation, obviously, the blog, the guild, LinkedIn, good way yes. to find you. Easy to find me on LinkedIn. I have a very large network and I really treasure the partnerships in the industry. We're open. We're not in competition when it comes to these things that we're working on with each other. The value add that we each individually bring to our businesses is unique. So I'm a believer. In, in as much open source and open sharing as possible. And I'm really lucky and blessed with the partnerships that the industry has organically created in this particular space. Awesome. Mike, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being a long-term friend. And I would love to have you back as soon as possible. This was fantastic. Thank you, Chris. I truly appreciate the time and the ability to share. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to join us next time for more insights from people who love words. This podcast was brought to you by Acrolinks. Continue honing your enterprise content by checking out other episodes at acrolinks.com slash wordbirds. 
If you have questions or comments, feel free to get in touch with Chris and his team by sending a message to word.birds at acrolinks.com. That's all for now. See you next time.